to the Modern Mamas podcast. We're here to provide a safe space for open dialogue, insights, and anecdotes about empowered pregnancy, labor, delivery, parenthood, and everything in between with zero judgment and open hearts and minds. I'm Jess, a level one CrossFit trainer, a birth fit coach, and a licensed and certified athletic trainer. I have my master's degree in kinesiology, and I am currently studying to be a certified nutrition consultant. I'm the blogger behind Hold the Space Wellness, as well as mama to two small kiddos. And I'm Laura, a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, BirthFit Santa Cruz Regional Director, and mama to Evie Wilder. I'm also the woman behind Radical Roots, where you'll find recipes, fitness insights, travel tips, consulting, and more. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We are so happy you're here. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode, episode 21 of the Modern Mamas oh, podcast. Oh. Yeah, holy cow is right. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to say what I normally say every single time, so I'm just going to skip that part, but um, it's crazy that we're here at episode 21. So today we have a really amazing guest on. We had so many listeners request Miss Megan Garcia to come on. We had so many listeners send us really, really amazing questions um, because it turns out kids and food is a really hot topic. Um, moms, I feel like speaking from personal experience, it's just one of those things like, is your kid eating enough? Are they eating the right things? Like you start thinking about it from the second they are outside of the womb. So it's really, really an honor to have her on the podcast today. So we're going to be talking all about baby's first foods. But before we do, Megan, um, I don't know if you've listened to any episodes of the podcast yourself, but we do a quick little check-in. And then we'll get kind of to the guts of the the episode. So, Laura, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Um, we had quite a whirlwind past couple of weeks. We went to – I um, talked a little bit about this in the intro of the last episode, which just took a break for um, – but we, <clears throat> we just got back from um, Napa. And before that we were in Dallas for, I taught at the birth fit professional seminar. So, um, and then we went to Napa for our anniversary. And so Evie came along for all of it. So she's now a traveling baby, <laughs> but Napa was amazing. I'm actually working on a couple different blog posts about traveling with little ones and, um, Napa specifically, like where was a good place to breastfeed and what, what wineries were welcoming to little ones and what restaurants were great to have a baby along. And we stayed in an Airstream in Napa and it was amazing and the food is great and it was just a really nice time. So yeah, we're just kind of like recovering from the travel, um, getting back into a groove here and, uh, life is good. Still no bottle, but we're just kind of accepting that at this point, (laughs) we might try some other things moving forward, but, um, overall life is good. Uh, Evie had a little bit of a cold she got from my husband, Rusty, but, um, we made it through that and life is good. So that's where we're at. How about you, Jess? I think you're on mute, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Why does that happen every single time to me? Um, That's a good question. I was trying to think if I had anything cool going on other than the fact that my little one, Camille. um, So Laura and I have been talking and a couple of our other friends um, via Marco Polo, which if you don't have that app, you should get that app. Megan, we're going to have to add you um, to our Marco Polo conversations. Um, But anyways, I've been filling them in that Camille has been really fussy. She's 14 months. So over the last two weeks, I thought it was just her molars coming in. So her one-year molars were kind of breaking the surface and she wouldn't eat like anything at all except for breast milk. Um, 
which is great. I'm glad I have that, that option. But so she was batting like an up and down fever. And then we took her to the doctor twice and they're like, Oh, it's nothing. You know, just, she can go to daycare. It's fine. And so turns out yesterday she broke out with, um, hand, foot and mouth blisters. <laughs> Mm. So if you've never been through hand, foot, and mouth, which we have been with my oldest, um, it is the most heinous virus ever. It's just a virus, um, but it – so, like, you're most contagious, I guess, and when you're feverish. And at that point, she'd already – like, who knows where she got it from because you don't actually know they have hand, foot, and mouth until they break out in blisters. And by then, it's, like – it's been, like, a week. Um, so they get, like, blisters – all over really and they say hand and foot and mouth but it's like everywhere but she has some in her mouth and on her just everywhere so that's that's where we're at that's my exciting thing is that is that not cool well no (laughs) it's a bummer (laughs) is that not a cool thing to share hopefully next week you're saying everyone is healthy and happy and we're over that I know but I'm actually kind of happy because I was telling Laura um, and our friend Liz like for a long time like, is this the way she's just going to be forever? Because I thought, like, this is just... Because she's a very chill kid. Um, but I'm happy that it's actually, like, probably just, like, this is the reason. And then once this is resolved, things will be okay. Because she actually is already feeling better. Like, seeming like her more like her normal self. So, it's good. It's good. Oh, another cool thing, a fun thing. I got my birth fit coach certificate not certification, certificate. I have to like watch how I say it. It's the same for CrossFit. Um, I got that in the mail. So it's official. I can be a birth fit coach. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Huge. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, um, just trekking along, trekking along. Great. So yeah, we have actually, Megan, I don't know if you know, but our check-ins are notorious for being like 30 minutes long. <laughs> the episode so is good. like 20 I'm minutes. Proud of us. <laughs> I like, I, I, we talked about it ahead of time. I'm like, there are a lot of good questions. Yeah. We need to get through our check-ins quick. We need to talk to Megan. <laughs> so, so on yeah. that note, no, yeah. let's introduce our, and like our, our actually introduce our wonderful guest. Yes. So Megan, if you don't know her, Megan Garcia is a mama to two boys and lives in Los Angeles, California. She has a master's degree in traditional oriental medicine and is the creator of First First Foods and Beyond. Her main gig for the last 10 years has been copywriting, editing, and research for folks in the health and wellness industry. When Megan found out she was pregnant with her first baby back in 2011, she began going deep into baby health and wellness, specifically a baby's first 100 or 1,000? 1,000. 1,000 days. We can talk about that, too. I definitely want to. Her interest in baby health, combined with a big love for all things food and gut-related, has become the heart and soul of what she does in her own little corner of the web at MeganGarcia.com. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, Laura, why don't you take it from here, and then we can, like, dive in, because I want to know a lot more about that whole... That's, like, the blurb. Part of this interview is a little selfish. Yes. We want to learn, too. I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, So it's pretty obvious, I think, what we're going to be talking about today is a lot of about baby's first foods, a little bit about... I I mean, I'm curious to know more about your history, Megan, and how you got where you are, and and your little ones and your life as a mama. So it's going to kind of, we're going to cover all of that. And then lots of listener questions. We got a ton. So I think <laughs> okay. it'll be awesome to dive Great. into some of those. Some of them overlap, which is nice. We can hit mm-hmm. some, um, multiple birds with one stone, but, uh, let's start off with an icebreaker question. We always like to do this. Um, what is your favorite thing about motherhood? 
my favorite thing about motherhood, um, the joy that it brings. It brings a lot of, I'm kind of, um, a thinker. I think a lot and I plan a lot and I'm a list maker. And I think the best thing about motherhood is the spontaneity and just the joy that my kids bring me. They're so much, they're, they're pure, they're fun. They're laughing all the time. They're giggling all the time. So definitely it's that light. Yeah. And for you guys, how about for you guys? That gave me goosebumps because I'm, (laughs) I feel like I'm pretty similar in that. Like I, my whole life I've been pretty a type. I like to plan. I like to know what's happening next. And I'm enjoying having no idea. Like I love that I'm going to wake up in the morning and I have an idea of when she's going to nap and whatnot, but every day she does something new. And I know this is going to be like a lifetime, right? Every day she does something (laughs) new or looks at me in a new way or gives me a smile. And it just like, yeah, everything else just melts away. And I think that's pretty magical, but yeah, she's teaching me more about myself than I ever could have um, imagined. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. I think we're all on the same page with being like that type A like list maker. I will say that was a hard lesson for me to learn. I did not learn it until the second go around. Um, my son is four and then Camille is 14 months. But, um, for me, obviously the joy is, is huge. There's so many great parts about motherhood, but like right now in this four year stage, it's really cool to see like my son says the funniest things like it's cool to see humor come out like true like he's actually enjoys telling jokes like he gets them and stuff like I was showing Laura and our friend Liz again um this book that we're reading it's called Jurassic Poop (laughs) It's, it's the weirdest book honestly but it's like this cartoon character that's like dressed up it's a poop it's a little poop guy. <laughs> and dressed up like a man. And at first he was just like so like he did not understand. He's like, what is that? I'm like, well, buddy, it's a cartoon poop. It's like to tell the story because it's about like archaeology and stuff. And he's like, I don't understand why he's dressed up like a man. And I was like, well, he's a man poop. And he just thought it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> and so now whenever we read that book, he just dies, thinks it's hilarious. But that's we so, have to get that. Yeah. Oh, it's a great book. It's yeah. really, it's really fun. So yeah, that's my favorite part. Thanks for asking. Poop. Yeah. Poop. <laughs> all the time. All, all about poop. <laughs> well, Megan, will you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you found your passion and how you got where you are? And then also maybe a little bit about First Foods and Beyond and kind of what you're doing and and all of that, um, just to give you like 12 questions in one (laughs) (laughs) ready, set, go. (laughs) Um, I think I got interested in babies when I had a baby. Um, before that I was more, um, into gut health and immune, whatever, uh, like more holistic living. Um, and it's kind of funny because before I had a baby, I was a little afraid of children. I didn't grow up with kids. Um, I was afraid to hold them. <laughs> it just like mm-hmm. seems so like special and fragile. Um, and having a baby um, kind of opened me up in a way that I didn't expect. I'm sure you guys can relate. Um, it taught me how to love differently. It taught me how to love myself and how to love another person um, it was a very deep experience. So anyways, um, after the birth of my first baby, um, I had a little postpartum anxiety, um, which I think, did, did you, Jess, did you have that or, yes. or was that Liz? I think I listened to, okay. Um, somebody, both, yeah, both, both of us. <laughs> okay. Both yeah. of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can, that, that was an experience like in and of itself. And at that point I was into, 
um, more of a paleo diet, but I kind of thought that, uh, supplementation was not clean and I needed to just eat food and get all my, um, like everything that I needed from food directly instead of, um, a fish supplement or fish oil supplement or, um, whatever. So I think that contributed in a way to, um, my postpartum anxiety. Um, now that I look back because this birth experience with my, with my second baby was totally different. Um, but so around the time that my son was maybe like one and a half, um, I started to look into, um, what he needed in terms of nutrition. And at that point I had already had, um, my master's degree in Chinese medicine. And I had been doing a lot of work with gut and immune health for other people. Cause I write for other people. So I do like a lot of copywriting and research and editing and that kind of thing. Um, so I was very much in that world, but kind of, um, not really exploring it in terms of babies. Um, so it's really great because gut and immune health develops during babyhood. And that's at first 1000 days is the first nine months of pregnancy and then the first two years of life. And according to studies, I found out, um, those first 1000 days have the biggest impact on, um, how your baby develops in terms of like, um, their immune system and their gut and their brain, all of that kind of takes shape during that first 1000 days. So I was like, that's so interesting. I want to dig into it more. And, um, I started to blog like around 2014 and everything I know and everything I talk about is completely self-taught. Basically, um, I just go into studies and um, I have a degree from UCLA. So I was able to go to the campus and like access the research because typically it's behind a paywall. Like you have to pay like $40 or $80 to read a paper. So I could go to the campus and read papers. And I would just do that because it was partially, um, for work because <laughs> my job involved that. So I could, you know, count it as work, but also I was educating myself. And, um, and then I started to write about all the things I was learning about on my blog. And at that point it was, um, called the mama station. And then I started a podcast with Rochelle Serna. It was like a very short lived podcast, um, under that same name. And then, um, and then I started my other blog, my current blog. And, um, I just decided to talk about first foods and babies. And I kind of stuck with it, um, because it's just so deep. I mean, it seems very easy and simple at first. And a lot of the things that I talk about are, what you hear, I think around like, um, in certain books. Um, but at the same time, you can also go deeper into it and there's a lot there to unpack and there's a lot I don't know. So, you know, when I talk to other parents, I actually learn so much because they ask me questions and it helps me to dig deeper into something. And there's so many little facets. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. That's great. I have a question for you just from a, like, yeah. a personal standpoint and you, like we talk about this all the time. Like it's almost like us being in this realm of like health and wellness and food and nutrition. It's like, do you ever feel that you almost know too much information that it gets mm -hmm. overwhelming where you're like, Oh my gosh, like I should be doing this, this and this and this with my kids. And like in reality, sometimes that's not, you're not able to do that. Like I yeah. always worry cause I do, I know all these things that I probably should be doing. And I'm sure we'll dive into these topics a little bit more, um, when we get into the meat of it, but like, I just feel like I don't have time <laughs> to apply everything, yeah. you know? 
Yeah, I think I definitely do feel that, but I also, I'm kind of, um, I, as much as I know I need to be doing certain things, I also always take the easiest route. Like I try not to stress too much about certain things. Um, and I just do whatever's easiest. Like in terms of food, I just throw together stuff and I don't do recipes so much. And sometimes it's a mess and sometimes it works. And, um, and yeah, I just try to keep it as simple as possible. And sometimes it's really messy, but, um, it works for me. That's and our family, great. So, yeah. I'm yeah. excited to dive into that a little bit more too, because I know like our readers, read our listeners, readers, whatever, blogger, blog followers will be interested to see how they can apply a lot of this information just in a very like, um, available way to like yeah. the modern mama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That, this is a super important thing to address now because I feel like a lot of the questions that came in come from a place of like feeling almost like mamas are feeling that they are failing in some capacity. A lot of like, you can, I can almost hear some of the angst in the voices of like, I just, I'm at a loss and I wish I, how can I be perfect? And it's like, that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's more like, how can I be the best for my baby that I can in this moment. And that is good enough, you know, and you're already the best. good enough. Exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. the fact that you're even asking questions and caring and thinking about this stuff is huge. So yeah. I'm glad we, I'm glad you asked that Jess. I think that's important to lay out now that there is no perfect and that, um, we're all doing the best that we can and we are doing enough and we are enough and exactly that. So, yeah, I actually just, I'm going to butcher it. There was, it was a quote, it's a quote by Maya Angelou. And I was like, do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, you do better. So do better. like, yeah. yeah, it's just like people will kind of kick themselves. Maybe they're at, you know, 18 months and they're like, Oh my God, I missed like half of the, the first 1000 days. And like, I just ruined my <laughs> child. And it's like, it's okay. <laughs> like it doesn't mean your life is over. <laughs> you know, or And it's like, never too late to implement something new and yeah. to try getting in more of the, whatever it is that you want to get in yeah. and whatnot. So, and I'm sure you're going to tell us like, obviously in that, that first 1000 days, there's things you can do to optimize health. But it's like, we talk about even with aware parenting and feelings and stuff, people that haven't necessarily known about aware parenting or, or, you know, connecting with their children and the importance of emotions, like feel like they messed everything up, you know, because they're just now starting it. But like, I feel these topics are kind of similar in that regard. Like you can still moving forward, mm-hmm. do so much, so much good. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Okay. And, and I do think too, that it's important to you know, if you do have the knowledge, um, to implement certain things, even with parenting, I mean, like I went through postpartum anxiety and I had this thing called intrusive thoughts, which is sort of weird. And, um, I never had it before. And it was just such a weird psychological experience. And, um, I think empowering yourself with knowledge and searching it out and looking for answers is also good. Like not just accepting, like, I love and that's enough, or I'm trying my best because sometimes like, um, and not to put pressure on myself or anyone else, but I do think there's something to be said about like seeking out answers and that's how a person grows. And, um, and there is value in that period of time. So don't beat yourself up. You always do the best you can, but at the same time, like do you push to, to, you know, do something different or better possibly like that's a fine balance. You know, like I had a mom, um, that I spoke to recently whose baby had like reflux and she was considering meds and she just felt kind of lost. And we talked it through and I helped her out and the baby didn't 
go on meds, which is great because it could protect the baby's gut health in the future. So little things like that, you know, just community, I think is the biggest thing, like having those people around you that can really support you mm-hmm. can make a big difference. And, you know, don't stress out, but also don't just accept that, like, you know, everything's okay because, you know, a, pr- a tiny bit of pressure, I think is good. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be therapeutic. <laughs> like, yeah. I think it can be yeah. therapeutic if you're, if you're dealing with like trauma from something, your kids, cause we, Jess and I talk about this a lot about how we feel our kids pain, you know, you feel <laughs> yeah. it almost like innately in your own body. And so putting in, taking some step towards alleviating that or improving their health or whatever, or your own health. Um, there, there's almost a therapy in that because you are, being proactive and making things better. And so when things do get better, you feel like you really were a proactive participant Mm -hmm. versus things just like happening to you, which I love. I think that's super powerful. Yeah. And I think the, the thing we talk about all the time too, is like, it's not necessarily like just being like, okay, with whatever happens, like taking action, but also that if you do quote unquote, do something that maybe wasn't ideal before you knew better just to let go of the guilt. Like, I think that's yeah, the biggest part. It's yeah. like, you can't, the guilt is useless. And now that you can move on or you can reach out to someone like Megan, or you're listening to this podcast even shows that you actually want to know more about the topic. And hopefully this podcast kind of pushes you in the direction to do more research on your own or contact an expert like Megan. So I think yeah. that's important too. Definitely. We're getting off on a tangent. It's a good good place to start, though, I think. You were going to say something, Megan, about guilt, and I think we're probably on the same page. (laughs) It's just just unproductive. It's like one of the worst emotions you could feel. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I think we're all agree on that. Yeah. Um, But I think, why not? I mean, we have so many questions. We might as well dive in now. They can kind of direct the the direction of this uh, podcast a little bit. And I love that so many mamas did reach out with questions because they are being proactive and, um, and I'm super excited for that. So I, I, um, I feel like a good place to start is supplementation because we got so many questions on supplementing for little ones. Um, and the first question we got, it's kind of like an overarching one is if you had to choose one or two supplements for a baby under one, what would they be? Supplements for a baby under one. Um, it would be a probiotic. Um, and if the mom isn't taking some of, of, of D vitamin, then the baby needs some vitamin D. Um, and if the mom isn't taking fish oil, then even then some kind of fish oil, some omega threes. I think that's awesome. Um, and, do you yeah. have any specific brands you like? We use the, um, the one from Corganic, the probiotic, the, um, the gut pro infant powder yeah. one. And Both, that, we love it. <laughs> yeah, that stuff is awesome. Um, I think that's really clean. So the thing with probiotics, um, from newborn to six months, um, most probiotics have, have inulin in them, which is like a prebiotic starter, or it kind of like feeds the probiotics because it's a prebiotic. Um, so it's a sugar. Um, but the organic one, the gut pro, it doesn't have any kind of um, prebiotic in it. It's just pure probiotic strain. So it's very clean. And some babies have a lot of gut issues and it's becoming more common. And so, um, uh, sometimes you want to look for, um, a probiotic that's that clean. That is um, awesome. so I'm pretty sure we yeah. bought it because of you. <laughs> <laughs> I think Liz was talking about it too. Like she uses a lot of organic stuff. 
Um, I also get, uh, I get the extra virgin cod liver oil from them as yeah. well. What I do you, that what do you think about clear, um, clear labs? Yay or nay? So that one's good. Um, okay. you know, especially if your baby's tummy is fine and there's no issues or reflux or colic or anything like that. Um, and especially if baby's after six months and is eating solids, it's, typically it's fine. It's really good. At what point yeah. can they transition from like an infant probiotic to a like children's, like just a generic children's? I mean, I think some adults do good on infant probiotics okay. Cool. <laughs> because it's, yeah, it's, um, really high in the bifidobacteria. Okay. So that tends to decline as we age. And, um, that, that family of probiotics, um, they produce a lot of anti-inflammatory compounds. Um, they're just really good for gut health, immune health, brain health, overall health. Um, and they are necessary and they're anti-aging. So yeah, even adult and people with histamine intolerance tend to do really well with those. That's a great yeah. point. I think I'm and, and I know I've, I've sent the link for the Corganic Gut Pro, the infant powder one to people and they're like, oh, this is like $99, but there's over a year's worth of servings in that little bottle. Yeah. yeah. You think about it's, it, like it's, it's totally worth it. I think we went through ours in like three months, but that's because I <laughs> ate it with him. <laughs> I took it too. Yeah. But still, and you probably need a little bit more. Yeah. But still, when you consider like three months split between two people, I mean, that's still a really good value for high yeah. quality probiotic. Do you have any favorites for like the vitamin D and the fish oil that you would suggest brands for fish oil, cod liver oil from Corganic is great. Um, the, the Rosita real foods, um, and vital choice is really good. Um, I like that one and I use that one personally. And then for vitamin D, um, I use the vitamin D K2 mix from Thorn, and I take that personally, um, so that my baby gets it through my breast milk. And I kind of think it's a good idea to take K2 and, uh, D3 together. Um, there's been things to support that. Um, so that's the one I use. I think it's an MTC oil. I'm not sure. I have to check on the back of the container. But, I mean, they're kind of all the same, you know. And yeah. if you're going to give your baby drops, it's just um, just don't, just make sure there's no additives in it besides D3 and some kind of carrier oil, which is usually MTC. When I'm doing the like same. Me. I'm just taking it myself in high dose so she gets oh, it. Oh, yeah. So for parents who don't know, um, if you take um, over 6,400 IUs a day, um, your baby gets 500 IUs or at least roughly in your breast milk. Um, and I'm sure that depends on each person and how they convert and whatever and how things are metabolized. But, um, um, that's a really important thing for parents to know because sometimes they don't want to give their baby a supplement. And I didn't want to with both my kids. So you can supplement yourself. Yeah. That's, I feel the same way. Yeah. I have a question. So, um, yeah. my pediatrician, when I had my son, it was, was different. He was like, if you're breastfeeding and going on the sun, you don't need to take vitamin D supplement. So tell me, and, and now it seems like the research is probably, that's not accurate. So kind of point me in the, like the, the reason why vitamin D is actually necessary and about what time. Cause I know they have like stores, right? Like to a certain point point or no, no, not so okay. much with vitamin D. I mean, so 
the study that shows that you can take 6,400 um, IU and be fine with your baby, um, that was, I think, published in like 2015. And I think it's available to read, but basically it kind of goes through all of that. And it explains that most people, including children, parents, were all deficient in D3 or, or vitamin D. And that's because we don't um, spend time in the sun. I mean, if you think about it, like how much time do we spend out in the sun even people who go out, you know, and exercise and whatever, surf, I mean, they're spending a lot of time in the sun and maybe that's helping. But for the most part, we're indoors, we're in our cars, we're in our house, we're in our schools. Um, we're not really going outside. And yet we were, we evolved outside. We evolved in the dirt, we evolved in the sunshine and our bodies are wired to think that there will be lots of sunlight, which helps us to make some vitamin D. So because of that, most people are deficient. And then other things play into that um, uh, as well, um, like where you're located and um, also nutrition. You can get some through food, but mostly it's the sunshine that provides your vitamin D. So everyone's deficient, basically. Okay. So everyone needs extra vitamin D. Yeah. And there's been a lot of studies that show this. And it's kind of like known like we know and I think the thing that's up for debate right now or what people kind of argue about who study it is how much we need like some people say you need 500 IU a day some people say you need 10,000 um, if you have an immune disorder of some kind you might need more because it helps to support the immune system um, it just really depends on each person and kind of where they're at did that answer your question I think so. Is it important for, do you think individuals should be tested before they just take it? Or do you think there's like a baseline everyone could benefit from and then you need to decide if you need more, maybe get tested? Yeah. I mean, ideally, like everyone tests themselves. For me, um, kind of like I said, I I just do like the easiest thing usually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I did not test myself. Um, It just didn't come into my world. um, And I just know that I spend a lot of time indoors anyway. So, um, because I work and I write and whatever, I'm inside a lot. So, um, I take 6,000 IU a day and then I have my prenatal. So I probably do a little bit over that. And, um, also we're not getting a lot of, um, K2 and that's another like synergistic vitamin that works with D3. Mm -hmm. And, um, so you also want to take something like the, um, Thorn Labs, I think produces that one's does, does the baby, um, the amount for like babies, does that go by weight? Does it go by age? Do they usually have it like packaged on a vitamin D product or it's, it's by age. Okay. Yeah. So cool. I think from like newborn to six months or something, and then it goes slightly up. I don't know my numbers exactly. I don't have them in front of me, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's by age. Cool. And then you mentioned prenatal. So I know I'm still taking mine. I'll take it probably until I'm done breastfeeding my second kid, which I haven't had yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which, which one do you recommend? And I think that's one thing a lot of mamas don't realize is how important it is to continue that when you're breastfeeding as well. Um, wow. So which one are you taking and, and how long will you take it? Um, what are your thoughts on that? So I take this Seeking Health brand and it's not entirely natural. And I know like... My first baby, I was all about the food. No prenatal. I mean, I took a prenatal like for part of my pregnancy even. And then I was like, I'm just going to get everything through food. And so I ate like tons of liver and eggs and um, 
cod liver oil that was the fermented kind because back then people thought that that was good. <laughs> and I, you know, I just, I tried to be very natural. And I think, um, I think I was a little like too dogmatic or purist or whatever. So, um, right now I take this seeking health one and that one has, um, a lot of nutrients that are like pre-converted so that my body can use them. Um, but it's not hundred percent, um, like natural. It's not, it, it's not all herbs and, um, vitamins that have been metabolized by microbes, which is what they use for, um, I think like, like the vitamin code and those ones, mm -hmm. yeah. they take the nutrients and the microbes that they use in the matrix, they metabolize it. And so then it's like natural and they use like vegetables and stuff in it. So yeah, I don't use that one. Do I you have the, a reasoning behind it? Or is it just because you do better specifically? My, bo my body yeah. does better with that one. So okay. I think everyone's different. I think, um, you know, you have to do what works best for you and you have to do what you feel good with. Um, I know my energy levels are better with that one. Um, and, um, my baby has, a. both my kids had tongue ties and lip ties. And then my second baby has, a what's like a cleft, like a cleft in his, um, Cleft, it's like basically a cleft in his like butt crack area. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you, um, you remember what it's called? Is it a vestigial something? I'm, anyway, so but yeah, it's a sign of, of like MTHFR, which mm -hmm. I have not been tested for. Um, polymorphism. So mm -hmm. it's basically like we have these genes, and there's this really important gene called MTHFR which helps with detoxification and, um, it's, it's really important for, um, the metabolism of, uh, B12 and, um, and it can affect your baby in terms of midline disorders. So, um, lip tie, tongue tie, um, spina bifida, um, these types of things. Anyway, so I have signs of that, but I haven't been tested for it. So I suspect that's why I do well with that prenatal. That's that interesting. So Evie interesting. has, uh, Evie has that. We had her tested. It's, yeah. I, I kind of touched on this earlier, but it's, it's helping us. We just wanted to get, she has no symptoms or signs. She had no ties, like nothing, but we're making some decisions regarding vaccines and we don't need to get into that necessarily, but we wanted to have that information. Um, and so we just had her tested and she has two of the SNPs. And so, oh, okay. um, so I'm going to, and so, which means I do and Rusty does for what she has, yeah. we both have to have it. So it's really, it's interesting. Yeah. And I had a it lot is. of issues in the past till I started changing my diet and supplementing and, and all that. So I'm going to look into this a little bit deeper into the seeking health one. Um, oh my God. I'm taking, like, uh, yeah. the, the garden of life raw prenatal, yeah. Yeah. which has been fine. I've been taking it for like two years now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And go ahead. Huh? Oh no, uh, those are, um, also, that's a great prenatal. Yeah. Cool. So but, I'm just like fascinated because I know I didn't know this. So again, no better, do better, but like the tongue tie issue, my mm -hmm. daughter, my son didn't have any, um, my, my older, my four year old, my daughter had like lip tongue and buccal tie. So we had to do revisions oh, wow. like all around to kind of make uh -huh. sure our nursing relationship was able to <laughs> progress. Um, yeah. is it, I mean, I feel like the commonality of ties now, or people are just more aware of them. Like it's everywhere. Like almost everyone I talked to is like, Oh yeah, like my kid mm -hmm. has a, a tie. So does that, 
this might be going off way off topic, but like because they have ties doesn't necessarily mean they have MT no. HFR. No, it doesn't. Right? And to know for sure, you need to test, test. it. Right. Um, but um, I think genes are, and this is not something I know a ton of about. Mm-hmm. So this is something that I helped somebody write a book about um, genes. And so I know a little bit about <laughs> it, but I'm not, it's not where I like shine, I guess. Um, gotcha. But I will say, <laughs> yeah. But um, <laughs> in terms of genes, I think that, you know, in the things that we expose ourselves, they can determine how genes are expressed and the epigenetic expression of genes can show up through many generations, um, not just one. So, you know, really it's about like what we, the input we have. So we have like chemicals coming in, we have EMFs, we have, um, lack of vitamin D from sunshine. We're spending time indoors, um, food. So, so much processed food. I mean, there's so many, and stress is completely different light. Like we are exposed to light throughout Mm -hmm. the, the night. Now there's so many factors that, um, will tweak how our genes are expressed. And I think that might explain part of it. And the other thing too, with my son's tongue ties and lip ties, we actually didn't fix them. So it may be something that, um, and not to say that with my second baby, we had a very difficult experience with breastfeeding, but we got through it and we didn't um, fix it. Um, So I'm not sure that it always needs to be fixed. Um, but it can help a lot. And parents that do do it, that's awesome. Um, we just went kind of down a different road for different reasons. Yeah. I think I'm glad you touched on stress because I think stress, um, it's one of those ones where it's like, you can't out supplement stress. So we're talking about supplement, like this is something Jess and I talk a lot about is, is finding a way, whatever works best for you to, um, practice, stress relief techniques, whether it's like mindfulness or meditation or talking to someone, because you could supplement, like for me specifically, my story is that I like over supplemented to the point where I was so stressed about it and just like nutritioned really hard and thought I was doing everything right and didn't have a period. And then I finally like started talking to someone and practicing mindfulness and working on being present. And then my period came back and I have this like super healthy little girl who has these snips, but doesn't show signs. And so I think the headspace is such a big part of it too, where, um, we can do all this stuff, but I think finding a good place, working on the headspace is also super important. For sure. And um, there was this really interesting study that came out in like 2014, and it showed that um, meditation and mindfulness can change baby, but with a, if the mom does it, can change the baby's gut bacteria and reduce um, pro-inflammatory markers. And I haven't read this in a while, but that's basically the gist of it. Yeah. So it's saying that your emotional mental space can actually have this physical impact, not just on you, but on your baby during pregnancy. And then your baby is born. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. And and also like your microbes. Yeah. It's really cool. So they're, they're connected. Study you said you read. Yeah, I, I probably linked to it somewhere on my website. I'm going to try and find it. I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll it in our show notes. Yeah. yeah. I'll, we'll, we'll connect after and we'll try and yeah. find that link. So okay, for people. sure. Yeah, it's a good one. Okay. I so, actually get goosebumps. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Epigenetics is such a fast, like, I just, we could go off on that for like an hour. Um, 
but we have more. I'm like tasked with keeping us on track usually. (laughs) So the other question about supplementing we have is like, so supplementing the mom and certain things that are okay during breastfeeding. So this particular listener wants to know, are the herbs rhodiola and Vitex safe for breastfeeding for mood and hormone support? Because I know like there's a lot of like adaptogens that are really buzzy right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think therefore, you know, obviously mood boosting and and hormone support. So what are your thoughts on, I guess, those specific ones? Because I know a lot of people ask about like maca and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I can't even think of what else is popular right now. Well, all those, all the, like the mushroom coffees, what's it called? Uh, Chaga. Yeah. Chaga, lion's mane, like all that stuff. Rishi. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's see. Um, so background, um, I have a master's degree in Chinese medicine. So a lot of these mushrooms are actually Chinese herbs. So I know them from the perspective of their temperature and the channel they enter and the herbs they work best with. And there's, there's a lot of complexity there that is missed when you're like talking about like adaptogens. And I also worked like 12 years ago, I worked um, for Ron Teagarden and he is like the grand pappy of like adaptogen herbs. Like he's like, yeah. he started it. Um, the Godfather. he started to bring it like, like tonic herbs into like the U S in the nineties. And he worked with a lot of like movie stars and whatever in Los Angeles. And then after that period, um, uh, I don't know if you guys have, or if you're into the, like the raw food movement, you may have heard of Truth Calkins, and he's somebody else that I worked with at, the, at this place called the Tonic Bar in Los Angeles. And, um, and we did a lot of like work with adaptogens. Um, and this was back in 2007, 2008. So it was basically 10 years ago. Um, and what I would see people do is they would load up on all of these super energizing Chinese herbs slash tonic herbs slash adaptogens. And, um, and they can definitely impact the body in ways that are surprising. They're very strong. They're very powerful. Um, but from the perspective of Chinese medicine, if you just do like pure tonics, it's not really balanced. Um, and for moms, um, you know, this definitely will impact your baby with rhodiola, um, that can keep your baby up. It can cause gut distress possibly. It just depends on the baby. I think you have to be, um, aware of what you're taking and then watch what happens in your baby to see, you know, if the baby's more irritable or cranky or buzzed, like wired, (laughs) just going everywhere, like 10 times as fast, um, to get an idea. Um, and then also for all of these herbs, um, if you look them up, it'll say like, it's not considered safe because it hasn't been studied enough. Mm -hmm. So this isn't to say that these herbs are not safe because I use herbs every single day. Like I'm not so much, I I think we have some questions about like, um, um, essential oils and things like that. And I do use essential oils, but herbs are like my main tool. And, um, I know a lot about them, so I'm able to use them. And I wish more people knew about herbs because in some contexts, like they can, it can be extraordinarily huge in, um, infection, like with your baby, like I would probably, I mean, herbs would be great for any kind of infection, Jess. Like, um, yeah, they're, they're amazing and they're very effective. Um, so 
Would you be interested in coming back on and doing an episode like specifically about herbs? Oh my God. Yeah. That would be amazing. Sure. Because yeah. I feel like we could, I, I'm, I'm fascinated because so I've, awesome. I'm very wary of medication period. Um, yeah, I have been too. for a long time now. And so, um, I would be curious to learn more about how I could implement some of that stuff in future sickness with little one and myself too. Yeah. And that's something, and that would be a really good thing to talk about. And maybe I can put a list together of things that you can pick up at like the store, like whole foods or something. Um, yeah, that would, that would work out or even order online through Amazon prime. Or that would be yeah. so amazing that. because yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, and we're always talking about like not stressing too much because, and I think we talked about this in Liz's episode, like there are modern medicine is there for a reason. And there are times when like, that's, that's maybe the the last option, the best option for whatever's going on. But if you can try more holistic alternatives that mm-hmm. are equally as effective, if you can just get your hands on that and just know more about it. I think a lot of people are just scared because it seems so overwhelming to even just research. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the information is not in a succinct place where they can just be like, where do I go? What, like, what can I do naturally for like an ear infection? They have to like Google and go five different places to see what's yeah. out there. Um, having it kind of condensed, I think would make people a lot more apt to try that route first. You know what I mean? It was coming from my perspective as a mm-hmm. mom with Me a too. job and like busy and all that stuff, which is pretty much everybody, yeah. to be honest. So yeah. We're getting you back on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> super cool. I, I just added it yeah. to our content calendar. <laughs> what, okay. what, is, um, what is Vitex though? I'm not really even sure. I've never heard of that one. Is that an herb? Yeah, it's used to um, help balance hormones. I think it's more used uh, for fertility. Okay. I, I'm not sure why it would be used um, postpartum. Okay. I guess for the, for like hormone balance maybe, but I, I, I've heard of it more um, for getting pregnant. And that's the other thing too. I know more about like Chinese herbs. I don't know. I, I know a little bit about Western herbs, but I feel very w- well-versed in Chinese herbs. And then when it comes to western herbs i'm like um calendula (laughs) yeah that's because it's for soothing inflammation (laughs) but i'm not like super you know awesome i'm excited for this i'm already like thinking of all the questions for when you come back for there yeah i think that's that's, (laughs) i'm excited for that one Cool. Um, and then we got in transitioning we got a number of questions about like getting their little one to eat um, mm-hmm. of moms who are struggling. The first one is, um, first mama has a 16 month old and she says, she doesn't know how to get him to eat period. Um, let alone healthy, nutritious foods. She said she's tried everything she could. She's Googled, asked professionals, and she feels like he's barely taking enough to in enough to survive. He's breastfeeding still. Otherwise she doesn't think he'd be getting enough to even like to make it. So <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm curious as to, and then we got another one that says, her nine month old just isn't into food. And these are obviously different stages of life. 16 mm-hmm. months, he's nine. Um, he's exclusively breastfed and loves his milk. Um, and so she's just curious about sticking with baby led weaning or maybe starting to introduce some purees. So I guess yeah. we can start with the first one, the 16 month old, and, and then we can go into the younger baby. Cause I know under a year is a little bit different than over, but what are your thoughts on the 16 month old who won't eat? <laughs> um, I would say don't worry about it too much. And, um, and I think also playing around with, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know cause I don't, or it's hard to talk about it because I don't know her full story, mm-hmm. but sometimes gut microbial composition can affect how babies like either how they 
taste food, um, how they the, like the texture of food, if it feels good or not good, and also if they want food. So I would um, add in a probiotic and also probiotic foods like um, coconut keeper, um, coconut water keeper. They, uh, I think you can get it at Whole Foods. It's in those little jars and there's the inner eco one. Um, but something like that, and you can add it to juice. So it's kind of sweet. I would start playing with the gut bacteria probably would be one of the first things that I would do. And that will also expose them to different flavors. Um, because sometimes kids just want sweet. And I think they actually also kind of crave that sour taste as well. I've noticed. Um, so gut health would be something and not through like the traditional things like bone broth and that type of thing, but more like microbes. So I would focus on that. Um, and then just look at what the baby likes to eat. And so what's the, so he doesn't eat or the baby doesn't eat anything at all or what's the, she just, she says, how do I get my 16 month old to eat period, let alone healthy and nutritious foods. I've tried everything I could Google and whatever professionals have suggested. And he just barely consumes enough calories to survive. He's still mm-hmm. breastfeeding though, but he's breastfeeding. Yeah. Um, I wish I knew like more, more but I, yeah. yeah. But I think like starting with what the baby wants and then kind of just, I don't if she wants to, and she's listening, she can email me. I'll, <laughs> I'll talk to her. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. That's so sweet. I told her I'd respond right away. Cause she seemed, she's pretty um, upset about it. So I'll let her know that she can reach yeah. out. To. But the first thing I would do would be like gut stuff and more fermented foods, sour foods, but mix it with sweet foods. That way it's more palatable to a baby or kid. Yeah. I have kind of, one of my questions is on here and now I'd written this about before, before we knew that she had a hand, foot and mouth, I thought she was going on an eating strike because her molars, um, were coming in and she like was refusing everything, but is it normal for some kiddos to kind of go up and down with their appetite? And like, if in that case, if she only wants to eat cantaloupe, which is what this kid was eating for the last few weeks. Um, I mean, how, to me, I'm freaking out thinking like, she's not getting any fat. Like she's not getting anything. She'd only have, um, like raw cow's milk and breast milk. Um, and Mm -hmm. so how, I mean, with it not being a varied diet for that, like shorter period of time, do they usually come out of that and go back to normal? Or is it like something you should be really worried about? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, definitely kids will fluctuate in their appetite. Sometimes they'll eat nothing. Sometimes they'll eat extra. Um, and it's not something that I think it's worth paying too much attention to unless there's an actual issue going on because it might stress you out, which the kid will feel and um, or the baby will feel. And then that's not productive for anyone. Um and also you can kind of think about what you would want if you're feeling kind of like blah or you're sick or you don't want anything. Um, usually a smoothie is a good option because <laughs> it's sweet, it's cold, it's refreshing. Everyone likes that. Um, I just did um, a blog post on smoothies and kind of what to add to them and um, how I make them to make them taste really good. Um, and that's not you know, there's a ton of things that you can put into them, but you can add in a lot of nutrition and you can make, so you could do a cantaloupe smoothie (laughs) milk in it. I mean, that would be amazing. And she would love it. You would love it. You guys can share it. Um, she could help you make it kind of, you know, yeah, that's such a good idea. 
Okay. Yeah. That was my own personal question. I had to get that in there. <laughs> we'll go on to the listener questions. Thank you so much. <laughs> so let's, let's switch then to the nine month olds. Um, okay. you know, there's obviously a big difference between a nine month old and a 16 month old. And I know I've heard you say like the, the, the topic or the concept of like food before one is just for fun. Isn't necessarily yeah. the case because there is nutrients that they need. So, um, you know, so, someone might say, well, you know, don't worry about it. Only nine months. Wait till, wait till baby's older. But what are your thoughts on, on this one? So, I mean, the science tells us that this is really important, that babies need iron and zinc specifically at very high levels at six months, and then it decreases. Um, Iron, zinc, protein, omega-3 fats, these are all um, things that baby needs a lot of in the beginning, like at six months, Um, and then it steadily decreases. Um, So that's why I suggest animal foods so much. So with a baby nine months who's not eating and who prefers breast milk, um, I would still say offer the food to baby, eat with baby. Um, at that age, they're kind of, they want to, they're copying you. They want to do what you do. They're watching you. They're, um, paying attention to, you know, their older sister, brother. So, um, definitely have the baby at the table with you when you're eating. Um, and if you're doing more of the baby led weaning approach, then offer one food at a time so that it's not too overwhelming. Sometimes if you have like little, um, sections of food, there's too much happening and the baby might get overwhelmed or play with it or throw it or whatever. So just start with one food. Um, and purees are fine. Like I have nothing against purees. Um, I think the main thing is that before nine months, I've read, this is a study again, um, you want to make sure you get texture in. Otherwise, at seven years old, it's more they're more likely to be picky. So mm. texture before nine months or at seven, they're going to be really picky eaters. And that's just one study. But um, I think the general idea is like you want to mix things up, you know. And if you do purees plus like some handheld foods, I mean like with my baby, like at seven months, I was offering him like a spinach leaf and whatever. Cause he, like, he would like be interested in it and he would try to, he would chew on it, but he would spit it out. And it's not like for some foods that they don't really eat them. They just play with them like spinach. I don't care if he eats that or not, but mm-hmm. for something like, you know, meat, like if he's not eating his meat or if he's kind of sucking on it or tossing it around or whatever, um, I would probably do a pre a puree and kind of like spoon feed him or give him a spoon with the food on it just to make sure he gets that in his system because it is important. And we've seen plenty of studies done to show that. So, yeah. Awesome. Sweet. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. So we kind of tackled that section, which I know people stress that about all the time, myself included. So I'm really glad. I'm sure I'll get there. (laughs) Um, Which way do you in what sense, like, did you uh, stress out about food? Food, um, with my first, he was just, it was easy, super easy. Like anything we gave him, he was like, yes, like give me all the food. He ate everything. Uh He still to this day, um, will pretty much eat anything. Um, with Camille, it's just been difficult. Um, she just can, it seems eats much less. She'll still eat Mm -hmm. a lot of variety, but just much less will get, get actually into her body. Yeah. So that's, I think stress, stressful to me, like, you know, thinking, is she getting everything, the nutrients that she needs? Is she, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I've, I've heard that a lot. I mean, I think in that case you would do like more smoothie slash puree, 
make it fun, make it tasty. Right. You know what? Do our, what you need to do. Yeah. Our thing is like, we do do smoothies and we actually had tried that a few this week. She's at the, she's at the age where she wants to do it by herself. And so <laughs> she can't figure out how to do the straw by herself. Cause it's like a loose straw. And if it gets too far down uh-huh. into the cup, like it blocks the, <laughs> the, the stuff coming through and if it, she pulls it out like she can't get it back in so then if I try and like help her gently she throws a fit so that's a fun age yeah. to be in <laughs> well you could um do like an extra thick one like make it super duper thick and then she could spoon it that's you know? a great idea that's a yeah really I prefer idea. my smoothies that way anyways I like to make yeah. bowls instead of I don't like to drink them that's just I, I like to eat things so that's, that's a really like. good idea thank you <laughs> <laughs> cool awesome sweet well, transitioning then into um, more like food introductions and allergies and stuff, we got one uh, mama who messaged in saying, food thoughts and or recommendations for a baby younger than six months that is formula fed. So we um, we, we know, know this, this, mama. this yeah. mama pretty well, and she's she basically did everything she could possibly do, and um, mm-hmm. she has to formula feed. It's the only, yeah. food, the only food the baby will take. Um, and so she is wondering if you have any special recommendations because of the fact that her baby is on a formula and not able to breastfeed, um, in terms of like food, the baby is, uh, six months. So in terms of like introducing foods and also, um, maybe supplementation. I mean, so if the baby's interested in, in foods, definitely start introducing them. Oh, she's not, she's not. From what I, okay. yeah, she's not super interested. Well, in I, I know the pediatrician is also telling her to wait, which she's, I'm interested. She's going to um, talk to the pediatrician again. Um, I think they want her to be a certain, she was early. I know mm-hmm. that as well. So I think maybe she had waiting. IUGR too. Um, all the yeah, things. All the things. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I guess, everything. And then the question comes in, do you wait till six months adjusted or do you wait till six months after the actual delivery? Oh, so the baby was premature. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So for that iron and omega threes are super important because baby receives a lot of that during the last trimester. So okay. she wants to make sure that that is a focus both in her diet and that she may even want to supplement now with iron, like actually do a supplement with iron because, um, for baby. Because she's yeah. formula feeding, right? So nothing. She so it should have iron in it. Right. Okay. I mean, I, I, like, I don't know what she's giving to the baby, but she probably wants to do extra iron. Okay. I'm thinking, um, what kind is she feeding the baby? What, what, she said, unfortunately, the only one that she, the baby can tolerate is like a conventional ready to feed sensitive formula. So I, the way she put like it, Edgefield or, yeah, um, probably more of like one of the more commercial brands. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, there are problems with formula. Um, and not to say that there's any problems like with the mom or what happened or whatever, but this is just like the science. This yeah. is what I know about it. So some of the problems is that it is basically already a food. So introducing food is not a problem. Maybe the doctor wants her to wait because food can be not nutrient rich and the baby's getting a lot probably from oh, whatever yeah. she's feeding the baby. So that's more of like a nutrient rich food for the baby. But the problem is that it's very monotone in terms of like the spectrum of flavor. Like you have like vanilla or, and it's just the same thing over and over and over again. But with breast milk, you have many different flavors going into the breast milk, depending on what the mom ate. So that can affect the baby's desire for food. So I think 
introducing food is a good idea because it will expose the baby to different flavors. The baby will probably be really picky and not want food because the baby's only used to one flavor. And the benefit of breast milk is that it has that spectrum. And so the baby's more open to different flavors because it's already tasted it in breast milk. Um, there's that issue. And then there's the probiotic bacteria, gut bacteria, whatever issue. Um, there's, you know, these microbes that we get, um, from milk and that breast milk feeds, it feeds certain bacteria that are that bacteria that is very important for gut health and for immune system, um, health. And, um, without that in the baby's diet, that's going to be something that she wants to focus on. So a probiotic, um, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's great. I think, um, yeah, that was good. She was asking yeah, about okay. purees versus baby led weaning. Just because, I guess maybe specifically because she's four and a half months old. Oh, that's is right. It, okay. Is and she wanted to know if she sh- should introduce. Um, yeah. yeah um, I would do probably purees um, if she is. So does she want to wait till six months or is the baby, the baby's not interested in food at all right now, right? She wants to start earlier. I think her doctor wants her to wait. Um, but the baby's is, I think they've tried a few things and maybe the baby's not like a, just not a big eater. Yeah. Well, so it's a little early to start, um, probably. And even at six months, like it's, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Um, sometimes, it takes babies like six to seven months. Um, but probably purees are going to be the easiest thing. Um, and so, um, I would focus on meat, like, like animal foods because it has iron, because it has omega threes, um, lard, duck fat, um, duck fat has choline in it. It's really important. Um, I don't know what is in the thing or what her baby's getting in terms of nutrition because we don't know what she's feeding um, the baby, but um, um, chances are it's not that awesome in terms of, you know, the spectrum of nutrients or the way that it feeds baby's gut bacteria. So So in this case, like supplementation would be really helpful is kind of what you're saying, because it's lacking a lot of those nutrients that they may, she may be getting if she were taking in breast milk. Yeah. And it's kind of also impossible to like, make up for the fact that she's not taking in breast milk. So there is that like kind of reality. And that's not to say that like the baby, like gut health or whatever, or like immune health is doomed, but it's just going to, it could make things harder. There's a bigger chance for, you know, eczema and things like that. Um, but I think overall, um, the most important thing would be to focus on iron and omega threes. And, um, if she can give, um, a low protein formula. Um, the problem with most conventional ones is that they're high in protein and that can actually upregulate, um, insulin growth like factor, which can affect, um, weight gain in the future and obesity and things like that. Like there's a link between that. So, um, hall and hip are both really good ones to give because those are lower in protein and it's not by much, but, um, Breast milk is actually pretty low in protein and formula is actually pretty high in protein. And so it doesn't match breast milk in that sense. And that can affect metabolism. 
Okay. Like the, in the long term. So I, I think like the biggest like thing that I think about with all of these issues is that first 1000 days, you know, it, it really does impact lifelong health. And I've had um, parents get like kind of um, upset with me because I've said, you know, this can impact your baby's health forever. But the thing is, is that it really can. And um, when I was a baby, I had um, multiple ear infections and I was on antibiotics. I was born in 1980. So they pulled me out with like tongs, like, you know, those metal Mm-hmm. Forceps. Forceps. Yeah. So I had like bruises all around my head and I had ear infections and I was on antibiotics a lot. I had my vaccines and I actually stopped talking when I was two years old because of antibiotics and vaccines. It was like, um, I had vaccines and then I got an ear infection and then I had some antibiotics and I completely stopped talking. And there's actually a connection between your gut microbes and your like, like autism and like brain development. So, um, and the autism thing is a totally different story and it's, it's a very packed loaded thing that, um, there's a lot of arguments in the scientific community about that, but, um, uh, there is enough evidence to show that your immune system and your gut does impact how the brain develops. There's an impact in terms of like metabolism and the things that happen during that first 1000 days. It's really important. So my current health right now is not amazing. You know, I have like immune issues that are popping up. I have like eczema that just showed up like in the last five years. Um, I've had a stutter that I've had to deal with for my entire life. Um, and I, and in Chinese medicine, like a stutter is, um, it's connected to wind and wind in Chinese medicine is inflammation. So there's this very like, um, uh, special connection between inflammation and gut health. And that the foundation for that is set during infancy. And I think that's really important to just understand and appreciate and respect and acknowledge. Hi, (laughs) (laughs) baby just walked by. I'm so fascinated. (laughs) And and I want to just say like our whole podcast is, is entirely non-judgmental. I mean, but our, our goal is to present evidence-based information And for people to just be aware. And then when you make your decisions, after you know the information, you decide what you're going to do with it. And then you go forth and you're empowered with the information and you're going to take it and use it or you're not going to take it and use it. But it's not about attaching guilt or your worth to any of the decisions that you're making. It's just this is what science says Mm -hmm. here. Um, If unfortunately you're, you know, and the whole formula and breast milk thing is so, so hard because it's such an emotional thing, especially for people who are very aware that breast milk is amazing. Um, and when that can't happen, it's really hard, but I love what you're saying that, you know, even if that is the case, unfortunately, you know, she's, they're using formula, but there are still things that you can do with your situation to optimize your yeah. situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's I also huge. like to comment that look how kick-ass Megan is now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, yeah. you know what I mean? You, I'm sure you started addressing this stuff pretty late, I'm guessing, in, in relative to like this four and a half month old. So if this mama can start implementing at least some of this stuff, like supplementation as needed, then, you know, it's like, oh yeah, the, which I yeah. love. Yeah. I, so yeah, I we're think- grateful to have you offering up that information. It's so helpful. Yeah. 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 There's definitely a lot you can do. So, and that will have a big impact, a very positive impact. I'm and 
love is the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so fascinated though, because everything that you're saying and it's, and I, I'm one of, I sh- I'm open with my story. I mean, with my son, we had a very traumatic birth experience and he was in the NICU and our breastfeeding relationship started off really rocky. He was a kid with multiple ear infections all the time. He had two sets of tubes. He was colicky. He was on a reflex medication very early on. And I just didn't know what to do. And I was, I had postpartum anxiety and depression and lack of sleep. And I was just like, doctor, you're the expert. Tell me what to do. And everything was just medicine and tubes. And, and this is the way to go. Um, fortunately for us, like he is an amazing kid and, um, we've learned a lot since then, but you know, it's like, I could really like hate myself for the, the damage, the, the damage that I perceive that I've done to him. But it's like, at the end of the day, I'm doing the best I can with the information I knew. And now that I know better, I can move forward in a different way. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. Okay, yeah. We're getting off on a tangent, but that's <laughs> no, I can, I can relate. I mean, not to the, to the full extent, but, um, with my son, I couldn't breastfeed him for the second baby for, um, a, like over a month, um, because of his tongue tie and his lip tie and just like, not even like mouth connecting to my, like just not breastfeeding, like pumping it. Like I was heartbroken. Like I felt like I'd been in a bad relationship and it broke up and like my heart ached. Like it was just such a, and it was like profound. Like I had no idea that I would be so impacted by not being able to breastfeed. And, and there is so much emotion that goes into motherhood and trying to do the best we can and feeling like, you know, maybe we messed up or we affected our babies in a bad way or what, but you can only go forward and you can only do the best that you can now. Um, and I've had plenty of moments of like regret or thinking like, um, about like my anxiety, um, that I had with my first baby. So it's definitely not something to dwell on. Um, and I, I'm just like presenting this information so that because some of these things are increasing in frequency, eczema, autism, ADHD, like these are, I've heard some people say that our kids will be, will die, will be the first like generation of kids that die before their parents or something like that. I mean, that's a little have extreme. Like a, a, a little, yeah. Well, they're supposed but, to be the first generation to have a, a shorter lifespan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a short. But, that's 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 a more graceful way. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's gonna die before us. <laughs> but um, but like, the, but what if you know we could change things around because you know more and more people get into food and lifestyle and stress reduction. And what if those numbers start to change? Mm-hmm. What if our kids um, become healthier and asthma and autism, those numbers start to go down. Like how great would that be? So, I mean, and I think like the missing piece in a lot of cases is just, you know, the things that we've done with our lifestyle and our diet up to this point. And now it's time to make some changes and we need to make those changes. And so that's kind of like why I talk about it, not for guilt reasons or anything like, cause I mean, motherhood. Oh my God. It's such a yeah. profound, like, so like you talking, I just felt like I wanted to cry. Like, but like, like, it's just like, cause I can relate and I feel it. And it's just such a 
huge experience and I respect every mom that goes through that experience and there's so much love there, but it's also I think, about like information. Knowledge. Yes. You have, Absolutely. you have a gift, Megan, in that you come from such a science background and you have so much information to provide, but I really appreciate how you um, present it because mm-hmm. I don't get the feeling that there's any judgment at all. It's like, this is just what science tells us. Here's the, what we can do to make the best of our situation. And so I'm grateful for that. I think um, since having known you for a while now, I think you do a really incredible job of that. Amazing. It's a tough, it's yeah. tough to balance that too, to be an expert in your field. Um, but also present the information in a purely factual way without the judgment is, is really hard and you're like nailing it. So rock mm. on mama. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we dive back in? We yeah, let's one. go. We've got more. Okay. I love it. Um, would you, we, uh, this mama would love your take on food introductions of allergens, um, and hard to digest food. So like when is a good time to do nuts, the top eight allergens, wheat, et cetera. Do you want to do it early? Do you want to do it late? Um, is there a one size fit fits all answer to decrease the inflammatory effects? And then another mama kind of dovetailed on that and said also, she's also very curious. Um, she has type one diabetes and autoimmune disease in her family. So she's concerned with, um, the foods and how they'll affect her little one's immune system. So, um, thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Five questions in that one. (laughs) Okay. So for allergies or for food allergies, like those are becoming more common. Um, and the, recommendation used to be to wait, but now the current recommendation, I think this changed a few years ago, was to introduce food allergens early. So before the one-year mark, you want to introduce, you know, all allergens if you can, if possible. Um, And that's like wheat, eggs, soy, milk, um, tree nuts, shellfish, that type of thing. Is that included Uh, in breast milk or is that like straight, like one-to-one you give the baby that thing? So exposure during pregnancy to these allergens as well is really important. Exposure through breast milk. Um, and and also other factors can like mediate um, your baby's response to allergens. Like if you have a dog or a pet, that can actually improve things. Um, your response, I think, yeah. <laughs> so, my, so you're telling me my child letting my dog lick her in the mouth is actually a good thing. <laughs> Great for immune system. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Sweet. Winning. Check that box off. I'm totally winning. <laughs> um, I think the problem that I see with a lot of it, like about that in specific with moms in the paleo community is that a lot of us don't eat wheat or we don't eat, you know, rice or whatever. And sometimes we do. Um, but Uh, so in that case, if you avoid a food because you have an autoimmune condition or you're on the AIP diet or whatever, um, then it kind of feels unnatural to give that to your baby. And I think I, there's not enough science in general or knowledge yet about what's going on to have a really clear recommendation on that. But I would say that if it affects you badly, it may affect your child. And if you can expose your baby to those foods regularly before 12 months, awesome. If it's natural and if it's not natural, then, um, the risk is up, but that doesn't necessarily mean your baby will get this allergy to wheat or eggs. You know, if you're not eating wheat or eggs because you are on the AIP diet or something. 
I've been doing a lot of, um, I never used to be able to eat any gluten, but now I think I've done enough gut healing where like I can do sourdough. So I've been doing sourdough, you know, once a week, a couple times a month. And in the beginning it changed. Her poop was like real green. She seemed fine, but just like the color changed and now she, there's no reaction. So I feel like that's, I'm doing something to maybe, I mean, it's not like we're going to feed her gluten all the time, but I, you know, it's nice to not have to be so I feel, in some cases fearful of foods. So I, I like the idea of introducing them early. And so, you know, they can participate in some, some aspects of life instead of being afraid of those things. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really also important to touch upon is that gluten in and of itself is not bad. Mm-hmm. And I know, um, some practitioners like Tom O'Brien, um, who are, who are awesome and very like well-respected in their field. Um, you know, he basically is like gluten is bad. Um, but there's been some studies that show, like, I think there was this Italian study, like 2014 that showed that you actually have microbes in your mouth and in the upper GI, I think that help to break down gluten. So that's another important quality or fact or thing to take into consideration is that we have microbes that help us to break down these hard to break down foods like oxalates, for example, oxalates can be a huge problem in some communities um, or with some people and you have bacteria to break down oxalates. So if your microbiome is, um, has been impacted because your mom took antibiotics or because you took antibiotics as a baby or whatever, this is a downstream effect. Like this is like not just you taking antibiotics, this is your parents taking antibiotics and they pass on their microbes to you and you inherit that microbiome along with your own things that you do. So um, all of this affects your ability to break down and tolerate certain foods. So it's very much a um, person by person thing. Like some people will do great with one food and some people won't. It just depends on your personal history and your microbes. Beautiful. Yeah, I love that. And I, and also the wheat, the majority, like 95% of the wheat that we have in this country is spray GMO. So yeah, and GMO. So, you know, we get sourdough from our local baker who uses hundred percent organic flour and it's traditionally fermented and, you know, and I have zero issues. So it's, I think that not all wheat, just like with dairy, just like with any food, it's not all created equal. So yeah, yeah, that's something to consider too. Which brings us to dairy. Um, We've got two questions on dairy. We've got one. This mama says, people say no to whole milk until 12 months. Is this really, is it really no milk until no longer breastfeeding? Is grass-fed butter still okay earlier? Because I know some people will say you can introduce various forms of dairy before 12, but I guess it's like this hard and fast rule for the most part. Like, they turned one, like now you can start giving them dairy. Um, So what are your thoughts on that? Dairy is recommended against because it blocks the absorption of iron. And iron is this huge, major, important nutrient that a lot of babies don't get enough of. So that's one of the big reasons why they suggest not giving dairy all the time. Um, I give my son uh, sheep's milk yogurt, my 11th month old, um, all the time. Um, So I think dairy also, as we saw with the allergies, um, it can help to protect protect against, um, allergies like, um, raw cow's milk actually can protect against allergies they found. Um, but that's not all the time and that's not in every case. So, um, 
I think it depends on the baby and what's happening with the baby. But in terms of the no dairy before 12 months, that's because of iron. And so that depends on the baby's iron stores and where the baby's at with that and how much meat you're feeding your baby, how much like the baby's actually eating. If the baby's eating pate and uh, like a few times a week, then probably iron's going to be okay. And you don't have to worry about dairy. Um, in terms of the blocking of iron absorption. And then um, the good thing about dairy is that it's a really great fast food. You know, it's, it's high in protein, mm-hmm. it's high in fat, it's super easy. I mean, a mm-hmm. piece of cheese is really easy to give your baby. Um, so I wouldn't be afraid of dairy. Um, and also it can protect against allergies in some cases. So you actually do, in terms of the current like recs for allergies, you do want to expose your baby to cow's milk, which is a high allergen food. Um, before 12 months and you want to do it pretty often. So and ideally but, with iron rich meats or just in the context of yes, your baby's eating rich diet, meat, yeah. not necessarily, yeah, in conjunction not necessarily together. Yeah. Oh, okay. Was so, it better to, to feed those two things separately? Well, will the dairy, um, disrupt the absorption if you eat them at the same time. Yes, it can, okay. but I wouldn't like stress about it too much unless there's an issue with iron. So if there's an issue, then yeah, you would want to like do it separately, but if not, then, you know, it should be fine. And of course there's people can, are concerned about raw dairy. I know for myself, I ate it all through pregnancy and I actually <laughs> noticed the difference in, um, Evie when I eat raw dairy, if I drink raw milk or eat raw cheese, her, it doesn't affect her at all. If I eat a lot of regular, uh, pasteurized cow's milk in any capacity, whether it's yogurt or cheese, uh, it does affect her a little bit. So it's, it's pretty amazing. The difference, I think. Well, What's that, the effect for um, her? If, if I eat a lot of um, pasteurized cheese or yogurt or uh, she cow's milk specifically, she'll get much gassier and um, she mm-hmm. gets like her poop is like really way more green. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. interesting. Yeah. That brings us to the second part. Um, so for for people that are like maybe transitioning off of formula after a year to like a more transitioning off of breast milk, breast milk or formula, um, or formula you know, yeah. they want to transition to like a, a raw milk or a goat milk or a nut milk. What would you suggest um, for for most kids? I know everyone's going to be individual, but like yeah. ideally for the most nutrients, the most I guess like breast milk or whatever. Would you say raw raw dairy, goat milk, coconut milk? I think, yeah. So I think raw is preferable to not raw. I mean, I've, I've like talked to um, enough parents with um, in terms of pasteurized milk, where I see that it causes constipation um, sometimes. So if it's co- if your baby's constipated, then you would probably want to look at dairy sometimes if it's pasteurized. Um, but so transitioning to a milk substitute, um, plant milks, if it's like, um, um, like a box store-bought plant milk, I'm not, I don't love those so much. Um, they have a lot of D2 in them. Usually they have some of the vitamin A palmitate, I think it's called, and they have war gum and other things. And it's just, it's not super clean and, um, but it's easy. So mm-hmm. I know that it's easy. Um, and I just don't think they're, they're that great. And I think you could blend up some coconut flakes maybe and make your own coconut milk. Um, mm-hmm. if you wanted to do a plant-based milk, um, that's super quick to do. Um, do you have a recipe for that and- on your site? 
Uh, I'll post one. <laughs> I mean, we could probably come up with one, but if you have it on your side, that would be super awesome. We can just point people. I don't. I should post one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy. You just, um, I was actually thinking if you could do this with the instant pot, like if you could heat up the coconut flakes and make a thicker coconut milk. That'd I don't know. That's so yummy. I think. Yeah. <laughs> we should, we should um, you I should definitely know. experiment with that. I should try that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but raw milk is, is great. You know? Yeah. I, I do think it's great. I just think that like, if your baby is only drinking milk again, it's, you want to be careful of minerals and iron and zinc gotcha. because milk is low in iron and blocks the absorption of iron. Absolutely. So, okay, yeah. great. That's perfect. Clears up a lot of the milk dairy conundrum. Um, the next section is kind of about making food and convenience stuff. Um, we get a lot of mamas just saying like, I don't have, like, I think liver's great and bone broth is awesome. I just like don't have time to make all this and meal prep and, and all that stuff. So the first part of the, the first mama is asking, what is the best contraption for making small quantities of food? Because I know there's all sorts of cr- commercial like products out there. Um, she says her six-and-a-half-month-old is just dabbling into food, so getting a Vitamix or immersion blend- blender to work is hard because of volume. Making enough to freeze doesn't make sense yet. She doesn't know. She knows she doesn't have to give everything as a mash, but chicken seems too difficult if not blended, I guess, because it's a six-and-a-half-month-old. Mm-hmm. So wh- any thoughts yeah. on that? Um, I've used an immersion blender. Um, I remember like a couple weeks ago, I did like a quick chicken soup type thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I basically put, um, I think like one carrot, maybe half a sweet potato or a small sweet potato and a little bit of chicken breast. And I like did a broth type thing mm-hmm. and I cooked it until it was soft. And then I blended it with an immersion blender. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was enough for maybe a couple days. Um, so it, I mean, it's, it's, a small quantity of food. Um, it's not a single serving though. Um, but I, I do think for managing babies, it's really a good idea if you can set aside a big bulk chunk of time and do a lot of meal prep and meal planning and freezing and whatever, because it can ease the stress because sometimes your baby wakes up and you're trying to get like your coffee or whatever, your stimulant going yeah. and you don't really, <laughs> your stimulant like, of choice. <laughs> yeah. You're, <laughs> and you're so tired and the baby's like all bright eyed and ready to go. And you're like, you're really enough energy to function. Yeah. And so having something ready is just so much easier than trying to make it at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think there is something to be said about meal prepping and planning. Yeah, totally. And if she's in my own personal experience, she's asking like the best contraption for making smaller quantities of food. We used the baby Brezza with my first, um, because we did mostly purees and it's like, it's basically like a little thing that like steams the food and you press a button and it mixes it all at one in one little thing. Um, it was cool for that small brief period of time where it was applicable like, I mean, it was like a hundred bucks. And then we used it for, I don't know, a month until he was just like eating much more and taking things off our plate where it was just like, okay. So like if she wants something, that's kind of a cool little deal. Um, I think it's like BPA free and like pretty clean and, and whatnot. So it's a cool thing for someone to just like get you as a gift, but 
-hmm. I didn't use it enough for it to be really like exactly what you said, just kind of putting aside some time every weekend for me to like meal prep a little bit was super helpful. And yeah, an immersion blender does still work okay with like smaller amounts to me at least. Yeah. You just have to kind of like push it into the food and just make sure there's enough liquid around the base part. So if you tip, if you're doing it in a pot or something or a bowl, you can just tip it enough. So there's just, you know, it gets that little amount and push it into the blocks of food and then everything will get pureed. Um, but I'm, I had, um, some kind of baby cooker. I got it for a gift with my first baby. I never used it. Mm -hmm. Um, so (laughs) I don't know. I just, I'm more of like a family practical, just use the stuff I have around and all the little contraptions. Um, I forget about them or it's just too much work. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I was like, I used it for like a month went until it was just, it didn't really make sense to use it anymore. And yeah, so I agree. Um, the second one, actually, I know this mama here, um, she wants to know which convenience, cause you know, the truth of the matter is like some people really aren't going to have time for various reasons to do a lot of like meal prep. Um, they, she mm-hmm. wants to know if you have any recommendations on convenient convenience foods that are best when needed in a pinch. She said, as kiddos gets older and in school, it gets harder to send them with things like liver and bone marrow and broth and lamb shank. She's so funny. <laughs> um, any unique ideas besides like the traditional egg muffins, gelatin gummies and berries. This is kind of so a fun funny. one. It's just a challenging, like, you know, what, what can you think of? that's fun. So many like moms in this community, they're so amazing when it comes to food. I mean, that list right there is unbelievable. Um, and it's just so funny because it's not the norm. Um, (laughs) it's just like, it's like, it's incredible. Like that in and of itself is amazing that she's even talking about that. Um, okay. So convenience foods, um, she's going to like, she's going, baby's going to like mother's day out three times a week. They've got they got to pack a lunch there and they don't want to mm-hmm. feed them like the sad diet that's being provided. So what would you, so I would do like maybe some dried fruit. Um, okay. that's a great thing. Um, uh, dried fruit, yogurt cups. I don't know if that's, is that too messy? Like a yeah. cup of, you know, like, um, well, there's a, go ahead. There's, um, the Bellwether Farm Sheep's Milk Yogurt. Mm-hmm. I love that one. And just the plain one. The sugar yeah. one's really, really sweet. Um, and so that, some dried fruit. Um, Epic bars and that type of thing, like meat bars, that's okay. Um, it's a little salty. Um, I'm not a huge adder of salt to baby's food. I know some mm-hmm. people um, uh, think it's good. But from my understanding that comes from the Weston A. Price Foundation and um, the research used to back that up was done with premature babies and premature babies have lower blood pressure. So the salt was used to balance out their blood pressure. So I think there's kind of a gap there with, mm-hmm. um, with that. And, and I still think that, you know, salting baby's food with like seaweed is, um, Oh, and that's a good thing she could do is um, those little seaweed flake or mm-hmm. sheets. But I like to salt the baby's food with um, dulse flakes. Yeah. I don't know if you guys that is those. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like a purple, super salty seaweed and add some umami and it's really delicious. Um so instead of actual salt because it has trace minerals and iodine in it, which mm-hmm. baby needs. Um so yeah, so sea uh sea snacks, mm-hmm. those little seaweed things, which I'm sure everyone loves. Um epic bars, kind of salty but okay in a pinch. Yeah. 
Um, this this little one, I think, like, she's probably, I think she's the same age as Camille, so like, around, like, 14 yeah. to 16 months. So she may maybe not be quite there with, like, the gnawing of, like, harder stuff, but um, I'm trying to think of stuff that we use. Like, we do kale chips, like, which you can make homemade or there's some cleaner brands out there that kind of like they just like dissolve in in their mouth which is super fun Mm -hmm. um I'm trying to think like we do I don't know if they do dairy or not but Liz was telling us they have some like goat's milk um cheese sticks at Whole Foods um now that that are really yummy I Um, love my Whole Foods yeah Do what you say? I wish, like, find those. I wish I could find the goat cheese ones. I can't find them. Right. Well, and then also now, like, Camille is old enough where she can take, like, a simple Mills cracker um, and just, like, like gum it till it's soft and then, like, eat it with no problem. So those are convenience foods that we use for lunch. Um, and they're not, like, super perfect, but they're actually fairly clean ingredients. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying, like, pork rinds. <laughs> My kids can go down <laughs> on some pork rinds for real. <laughs> so I'm just trying to think of like little things that like you know when they're in school and other kids are eating like Doritos or whatever you know that they can have that's like Doritos but way better (laughs) if that makes sense those um freeze-dried um fruit puff things those are okay those are good yeah it's a nice little option um I'm not like I guess I don't know enough about like brands or snacks I mean I I have like a I feel like I'm recommending a bunch of stuff that maybe people already know about, but it's no, the stuff it's that good. you would eat like at Whole Foods, you know, just the snacky paleo things. Yeah. We do olives. Yeah. Like our baby, olives, uh-huh. I, she loves, you mentioned that like babies love that sour taste. Like she will eat sauerkraut all day long. She loves like olive tapenade. That's She's awesome. Like That's give it great. to her. Um, just thinking it from my own like perspective, but yeah, I yeah. Think, I think you gave her some good ideas. I'm sure we can <laughs> think some more on that topic for sure, but that's awesome. Um, let's see. Are we almost done? That Are we done? All the questions. Yeah. Oh my God. It went by really fast. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. We really put your brain to the test, didn't we? Today? I mean, it went by fast, but that was an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. It's one of our longer episodes. The long one. Yeah. So um, do you have anything else you want to add, Megan? Just parting thoughts? I know we're, we're probably going to have you back on if you'll have us like a million yeah, times. But definitely. Gonna... I love talking to you guys. It's so much fun. It is. Um, I don't um, – parting thoughts let's see it's funny because I feel like I know you because of social media like like I well is that weird like, <laughs> that in person we're gonna be down in LA um in October so maybe we can connect in person I'd love that I would love that definitely why are all the like cool people in California <laughs> I'm like over here in Texas no one's ever here <laughs> all of our friends and the people that you know we communicate like in this world are all in California so y'all just need to come to Texas and visit me. I have Cassie well, from Fed and Fit here, so I'll use that. Oh, that's as a bribing, right. Yeah. Bribing factor. <laughs> We're having her on next. Yeah, she's gonna be on tomorrow actually. Um, to Pretty talk awesome. about her stuff. So Yeah, she's got a little a little bun in the oven. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pretty yeah. exciting. That's really um, exciting. Megan, where can people find you? We'll link to this. Um you can go to MeganGarcia.com. That's my website. Oh, and I have a free library of 
ebooks that you can download. And it has a lot of the basic information in terms of what nutrients you need, um, the problem nutrients, which I found in a study once and I just kind of like put it all together. And, um, so there's that, and it's all cited with a bunch of, um, if you're into science and you want to look at the stuff that I talk about, um, I cite everything that I talk about in the eBooks. Um, there's eBooks also about massage, um, because of my background in Chinese medicine. So we did pediatric massage. So, um, it talks a little bit about how to massage your baby for certain, um, for just for health, like, oh, I'm general. excited about that because that's been something I've been just like, I've been doing, but I have no idea what I'm doing. So it'll be <laughs> nice to have, to have yeah. some guides. I want to look into that. And, um, what else is there? And I think there's one ebook on attachment parenting, which is not like your, um, not like attachment parenting that we know it's more attachment theory. And I know you guys talked about this with Liz a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but just kind of like how to have a healthy attachment and what that means and very basics. I am in no, I'm not an expert in that at all. I just thought it was really interesting because it does affect, it has something to do with postpartum anxiety and depression. Um, if you have postpartum anxiety or depression, um, you may have a, your attachment to your baby may be affected. So it's just a couple tips and tools to really strengthen the relationship that you have with your baby if you're dealing with that. And then it also comes with a 12 part email series that, um, when you sign up, you get emails for 12 weeks That is, and then I never email you again. (laughs) I don't blog anymore. Apparently that's amazing. I love that. I, I mean, we could talk on that subject. You and I probably at length too. I felt that way. Um, with my first kiddo, like I just missed the boat on establishing a connection. Thankfully, like now we've gone back and done a lot of things to just really like work on that. But for mamas out there struggling, like how probably we, I'm speaking for you, but how we did, um, I feel like that's going to be such a great resource. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So yeah. So MeganGarcia.com and I think, um, and then on Instagram, I'm like really active on Instagram. Um, we're not really active. I try or I'm on there more You're often most than active Facebook. there. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what's yeah, your handle? Is it Megan Garcia? Yeah, with me. It's Megan. And then there's three little underscore things. Do, do, do Garcia. Cool. <laughs> we'll link to that too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. And it's fun too. Cause it's a community. So if you guys want to email me or talk through Instagram or Facebook, I love it. I love, I think the biggest blessing of me doing all of this. I mean, it's very much exciting in terms of like intellectually or whatever, but, um, the biggest, reward has been connecting with other moms. It just moves me so deeply. Just the connections that I have over and over again with different moms. It's amazing. So yeah, we feel the same way. We're so grateful to have you on. And now to get all these mamas that listen to this podcast and dads, maybe to find you and just make that kind of, and they probably, a lot of these people probably already know you (laughs) (laughs) because you are so amazing, but I love just like building our tribe and um, we're so grateful to have you on. So thank you very much for all the insight and you're just awesome. I'm excited for Thank round you. two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <me> too. <laughs> well, um, and guys, as always, you can find us, um, each individually at, I'm Laura at, uh, shoot. I am <laughs> at laura.radicalroots and Jess is just all of the space. And then you can always email us at modern mamas podcast at gmail.com. Um, direct message us just like Megan. We love hearing from you. So feel free to reach out in any capacity. 
And just a reminder, we have started having a lot of people requesting to be part of the Modern Mamas Tribe Facebook group. And so it's really an active place. Like, you know, if you just need answers from people that have been there, done that, or just want to like vent or um, commiserate with other mamas in the same boat, um, that place has been awesome so far. So you just, you have to request to join. It's a closed group because we want to make sure it's a safe space. So find us um, by searching that on Facebook and we hope to see you there. All right. Thanks guys. Cool. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye.